Mendelssohn's father was Abraham Mendelssohn, and his father was Moses. Moses was a very famous philosopher, and of course Felix Mendelssohn was the famous composer. And Abraham said once, I used to be the son of my father, now I'm the father of my son. And that's the way I feel. You know, I was the son of a very famous personality in the musical scene in Dublin, so he put it like that. And now I'm the father of a son who's who's died. First in the shadow of your father and then so in the shadow of one son. In an old German town lives an Irish cellist called Richard Gruco. Over 30 years ago, while studying music, he met a young German woman called Marlies. They married and had three children, a girl, Anna, and two sons, Ben and Kevin. The bush out there is the river, the Oker, which goes into the Weser, which goes into the North Sea. And it runs on there. It's too damp there, there's too uh, danger of flooding. So we won't get any housing estates there. Next to the front door is a small room lined with books. Ben is his oldest son, still living. It's nice, isn't it? It has a label in it which is a fake, which a lot of old instruments have. Very seldom you get an old instrument with a, with a genuine label. If they do, they're incredibly expensive. And this is probably made around the middle of the 19th century. And I, I bought it, uh, let's see, 30 years ago. That's it. Well, it's been doing me fine up to now, two years ago. Well, it's funny to have it. A son doing exactly the same thing, I want to do the same thing as I'm doing. He lies the cello side by side. That's Kevin. Kevin is Richard's other son. When he was tiny. He has been dead since August 2005. This is the, the so-called music room, as we call it. That's a piano which my wife inherited from an elderly lady who she gave piano lessons to. It's a Steinway from 1894. It's much too big for the, for the room. Oh. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous instrument. I can't play. That's my wife's piano music. That's all my music here. And this here is Kevin's music. He's, he plays in her bone. That's all that stuff which he played or studied. I was on his way to it. There's not much... If you compare that, that's almost, well, I suppose half of the trombone literature there is. <laughs> and look at all the piano music, and that's about a twentieth of all the piano music there is in the world. And that's, well, quite a, quite a lot of cello music there is, I suppose. The first thing I did after the day he died was to order his music. It was sort of a, a feeling of how to do something to do with Kevin. So I, organ- I, I ordered all his music. I don't know why, it was some sort of instinct, something very archaic. Um, found his music everywhere and put in order. My wife was a bit shocked by that. I mean, that was the day after he, he killed himself. 
and uh, I just had to do something just which was connected with him like going out in the shed and, and feeling the saddle of his bicycle that was something which which you don't think about you just you have the feeling you've got to go, go if you can't go forward you've got to go back so you go back and, and some like my wife she found a pullover belonging to him and wore that on. She still sleeps with with a mouthpiece from Mr. Trombone. I stopped playing the piano. I, I couldn't I couldn't practice anymore. I couldn't play anymore. I mean, it was hard enough to to listen to my my pupils, you know, and uh, and find pieces for them to play, which wouldn't remind me too much of Kevin. Um, I think for Richard, it was hard enough to to have to play in the orchestra. Um, but uh, I just, uh, I just stopped. I have to realize that uh, that he will never come back, and he will always stay twenty in our memory. I can't... I mean, he would probably look very much like Richard. <laughs> his fingers as long as Richard's and his feet very um, long and thin. And uh, But he was uh, he was full of ideas and full of interests. And uh, uh, But it was, it, was, it was tiring sometimes with him. It was sometimes I thought, oh, no, I can't, can't go on listening to him you know but um, yeah when it's over you know, he would like to, to hear his voice again I suppose the love of music was instilled by my father. Um, he, he had a, an amazing mind, and he. he I admired him because I, I can never achieve that sort of <laughs> the intellect that he had. I think I inherited his enthusiasm for teaching. I just love teaching. It's, it's a great uh, contrast and uh, extension of, of musical activity. Yeah, my father was uh, uh, a wonderfully inspired music teacher in many ways, and uh, uh, he inspired lots of young people uh, by his enthusiasm about music, which I think 
His grandson inherited <laughs> the enthusiasm. Because I'm in between, aren't I? hear when Kevin was around he was a loud voice you'd always hear him coming up the stairs you'd hear him coming and he'd immediately start talking about what's just happened or he'd start talking about uh, politics why the Arabs and the Israelis are fighting against each other something like that and um, the time when his first impression came his voice became very very quiet and that was always a sign he was he was in a bad way and um I remember talking to Ben, going round the lake here, going for a walk, where we both decided, well, do you think it's... Kevin's making, making too much of himself or something like that? And we both sort of thinking, it's, he's being a bit melodramatic. There was still feeling was still there, you know. So it's a dreadful feeling to have as a father of a dead son that we didn't, did, I didn't take him serious enough soon enough. But, I mean... That was our our uh, worry. How much of it is is to be taken really seriously, or how much of it is just a phase? And thank goodness, I mean, my wife is is a wonderful judge of personality and judge of other people's problems. She's a very good listener. She realised that was something very serious and sent him off to a, a psychiatrist, and he got some counselling, and. Uh, that did him some good, and he, he came out of this first uh, period of depression. And uh, the last holiday we had with him together was with Ben and my wife and myself. We went off to Dresden for two days, and that was a wish uh, which my wife had, well, I had as well, uh, my wife particularly, to go to Dresden, this beautiful city on the, on the, on the Elbe, the Florence of the North, as they used to call it. Um, and Kim came with us. But he went off for a beer with Ben, and thank goodness I had the discretion to say, no, I'll go back to the hotel, and he went off with Ben. I would have liked to go with him, but, but uh, I didn't, thank goodness. And they had a good time, and Ben had the feeling he'd be okay. Well, he wasn't okay, but nobody was, nobody was in a position to know how serious his, his depression was and his Weltschmerz, I think that's a word, which I think is in English as well, Welt is world and Schmerz is pain, the pain of the world, which I think a lot of young people and old people as well feel in, in the music of Mahler, this Weltschmerz. That's something I I try to avoid, to, to go too deep into that, you know. I, um, for instance, Mahler or Bruckner, it's, it's just too hurtful. Bach is always good. You're always a little bit separated from the feelings, you know. Um, I mean, he loved he loved Mahler and he loved Bruckner and he was playing uh, trombone, wonderful. And that music is is full of 
of brass and you know you have lots of trombones and trump trumpets and, and horn and sometimes the whole house was you know full of it and we heard Bruckner from his room up to here and uh, I know that was the last concert he, he heard Mahler 6th Symphony 6th Symphony yeah, a week before his death but um, after going to the concert concert of a youth orchestra playing Mahler 6th and I'm sure that had something to do with sparking off his feeling of desolation and Todesine sort yearning for death. There must have been something in that because I know without reading into Mahler, knowing that there's something of that in his music. I don't think that has anything to do with um, his love of Mahler or Bruckner. Oh no, he was a very he loved life and uh, he was never somebody yearning for death never flat was in Hanover, um, where he was going to live when he was to begin his studies. But unfortunately, the other students, they were all away, so he was alone in the flat, which I think was, that time, just the wrong thing. He got mentally ill, and it was a question of about four weeks, maybe five weeks, and that was it. Ein Schatten fiel auf seine leuchtende Seele. I think that was a wonderful uh, expression which Marley's found for the ceremony and, and for the, the uh, notes in the paper. A shadow fell on his shining soul. And what's the date there? Well, that's when he was born and that's when he died. 1984, 2005. He just missed his... 21st birthday just a 19th of uh, September was his birthday he almost made it to 21 he wrote this letter where he says this is the only way out for me um, uh, when you read this I won't be here anymore um, I mean that's sort of uh, he meant that seriously he tried to, by just drinking as much alcohol as he could, to kill himself, which is, if you really want to kill yourself, that's not the right way. Okay, that's people who know about it know that, but it's the nearest thing to do without, without running in front of a car, which he did later. One of his friends went to the door and he opened it, and he was always in dreadful state, and they brought in the ambulance, and the police came in, and they brought him to hospital and pumped out his stomach, and he was okay. But because of his letter and his his suicide attempt, they said he's got to be watched. They obviously had some idea of what was going on. He has to be watched, he has to be taken care of, we can't just let him out. And uh, we have a diary uh, that he wrote and the last the last sentence he wrote was, ich werde es schaffen. What does that I mean? Will, I, will, I, will, I will make it. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm trying very hard to get to get right again, and I, you know, I will I will make it. Sunday, he was taken to the hospital, and then the doctor said, "We have to take this seriously. We can't let him go out from here because our experience is suicide attempts, which are unsuccessful. They bring with it the wish to try again, be successful, because of course, an unsuccessful suicide is a failure, and that's something I think which is it's, it's difficult for somebody outside to understand, but." Suicide has always always got something to do with failure, one's feeling of failure in life. And so if um, it, this is a failure and it's got to be done right, at least you can get that right. <laughs> Very macabre, but I think something, word of truth in that, which is the reason why they had to bring him into the closed ward in the um, psychiatric clinic. committed suicide was a different Kevin than he was up to maybe four weeks before his death. so much that he decided I don't want to go on living like this and I can't understand and it makes sense because his life was so fantastic before that you know with all this music and enthusiasm and the competitions he won and and he was he was loved by everybody and with this change in his brain or whatever you would call it his life would have been totally different and he didn't want that so he decided either this fantastic love uh, life I I'm looking forward to or nothing uh, one of us or all of us visited him every day and he seemed to be getting better and he was writing here but he was very very withdrawn and um he didn't want to be asked any question. It was a silence. We agreed with silence when we asked him anything. And he says this in his diary. Decisions are the, the worst, it's the worst thing that can happen to him. And that's a sort of mental illness which I think is very difficult for outsiders to to believe, to, to accept, um, to understand that somebody is in this state where he can't decide which paper he wants to have. 
that was part of the huge problem of, of deciding things deciding to leave home deciding what he wants to do with his girlfriend decide if it's the right thing to, to, to study trombone deciding things he's feeling this this compulsion of having to think about the future and it was pulling him down and I think he was in a, probably a state of absolute terror I can only imagine the, the, the sort of the abyss of of, of desperation and that when he went out of the, the clinic he was allowed to go out with either the personal the people there or with us he just diffused blue and he ran he ran out of his life and we were told after he ran in front of three cars until the third one hit him I was here I was alone um, the doctor found me he just found me and told me but Kevin was dead and Richard was playing and uh, and I had to wait until Richard came back and tell him at that time, 20 past 7, I was just about to play a performance of uh, Tosca and I'd just finished a translation into English of uh, the booklet for a CD we did of Mahler's Third Symphony, the great Mahler Third with the big trombone solo. And I just handed it over. And uh, of all pieces, <laughs> Mahler Third with the trombone solo. And then when I, I was off work for two weeks, I think, they said you can take as much off as you need and I think after two weeks I decided to go back and the first thing I played was Bruckner Bruckner fifth and you wouldn't believe it but we have always do two public performances one Sunday morning one Monday evening and Sunday morning there was a butterfly flying around and there was a butterfly of course I immediately thought something to do with Kevin and Monday evening was still there and a week later we played the piece, same piece, in the church in Hillesheim, about 30 miles from here. There was a butterfly there as well. Uh, one of the proudest moments in my life was when Kevin played the trombone solo in Mozart's Requiem. Um, and he played absolutely wonderfully. There weren't any butterflies, but I played in that church about two months ago. And when I was there, there was a butterfly there. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere I read, um, people's souls become butterflies, or they fly away like butterflies. That's the way I felt. <sighs> yeah. I feel so much pity for him because it, he must have he must have suffered so much. I mean, just imagine being able to jump in front of a car. And actually, he did that three times. He missed two cars. Or two cars missed him. What strength he must have had, you know. Thank you. 
Kevin's, this is a mess because um, this was part of what well, is where Kevin uh, lived. Um, it's just a mess at the moment because it was he was a, even more a mess when he lived here. He was a terrible, messy kind of person. <laughs> he couldn't. He never cleaned up his room. This is new. This wasn't in here. That's got nice, but that was his bed. Um, and you get an idea of what he was interested in. Sport. He loved tennis. There was one holiday we had in the Alps when he was about 12, I suppose. And we went for an eight-hour walk, and I think he talked about seven hours about Boris Becker. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a real hero, Boris Becker. Yeah. And that's Kevin. <laughs> that's the well, Around the corner from from the, the the our flat in the country, uh, and a field, there was a fun fair set up, and uh, Ben was in one of, one of the other uh, gondolas, and uh, he he took a photo of him, you know, from behind him, and that's Kevin just the way he used to, he could be enthusiastic like nobody else I know, and this these are um, posters from Amnesty International in German. And that is was like his Bible. That's Mahler's second, that's Mahler's third. He was very, very interested in Mahler. And uh, um, second symphony, I think, I remember him saying, that's the, that's the greatest piece I know. It's the greatest piece. It's, it's where the choir comes in the end. It's, it's a very, very moving piece. And this one has the big trombone solo, which is the trombone solo. Um, I could see, is yeah. that a picture of Mahler? That is Mahler, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Postcard. Yeah. That's shortly before his death. Yeah, one well, of his last years. Look, that's it again. There's Kevin. Those runners, are they? They're not. They're his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is dust we haven't really cleaned up here since he left us. That was his. Uh, his. His. Main trombone is in here. And that's the little one, the, the uh, alto trombone, which is high up, more difficult to play, maybe. Do you mind taking them out, sir? Oh, I haven't taken them out since then, but I don't mind doing so now. Look at all the dust. That's it. He had a way of expressing himself, which was... His whole life was in the trombone, from the word go. That was so part of him. In fact, uh, when he went off to a course in Italy, <laughs> he was all so, so chaotic before. He never packed his case until the last minute. And the night before, he was much more interested in, in, in packing the trombone than anything happened to it. And uh, so long as the trombone was, was in safety, everything was okay. So I think I'll pull it back again. Do this right. That's the first time I've taken that out since he died. That's okay. Uh, yeah, it's a moment. At the moment, it's a junk room. It's full of junk because <laughs> um, we haven't found the courage yet to to change things. 
And I, I think th there's a feeling um, he's going to come back, particularly at the beginning. That Scott Les uh, had the feeling he's going to come back. It's it's all a hoax or something. It's, it's going to be different. And madness by me. And I think I'm going off my head. But the thought was coming. He's going to open the door and say, Hi, Papa. The imagination runs wild. It's what you wish most of all the world uh, could come true. And you know it's 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 impossible, but you still imagine it very intensely and so intense that you feel it, it just just maybe there's chances you could put the clock back or put the clock on or something. It was it was only a mistake. But uh, the cut it hurts so much that you you have to find a way of uh, a chance, a hope, an illusion. Uh, maybe we can do it differently. Hopeless illusion. You know, uh, when, when you, you when you are giving birth to your child, you know this wave is coming, and you you have you you are afraid, but it's coming and it's horrible. It's you know you go you have to go into it, and it's it's really very very hurtful, and there's another one coming. You know, another wave of 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 grief. Um, And when it's over, it's over. And you can't imagine how it was. It was quite impossible for my wife to play the piano after Kevin's death because it was so much part of accompanying, accompanying Kevin. Uh, and you accompany a child as well on, on part of his life, 20 years maybe. And to accompany one's own child musically that's something special in the back of our minds I think I think save that for mice as well uh, will we be able to live on here in the same house where Kevin used to live and we both thought it's okay and we both said instinctively I think my wife said it first um Well, it's great having pupils because we have young people in the house that come in the house and they liven things up. And um, I think that's that survived everything, our enthusiasm, both of us, for, for young people. Yes, I decided to um, to accompany Richard's pupils for a competition, you know, and as I'm, I'm going to to start uh, practicing for that, and I'm going to accompany them. At the top of the list uh, for a positive experience, when you've been working with somebody who's she's practiced a lot and she's going in for a competition and she's the sort of person who won't be too sad if she doesn't give, get a prize but it got to the position where she's learnt the notes more or less and now we're getting down to the music and now it's just polishing, polishing, polishing and that's wonderful oh, to get to the people that and then the enthusiasm of course I get more enthusiastic and that infects her I think anyway and then it gets better and then you have the thing yeah isn't that great did you hear the sound did you hear the way you play now <laughs> uh, that's terrific
worked together with her. I just told myself, you have to do it, and you're going to do it. And um, I said, yes, I want to do it, and so I have to. changing all the time and um, the last stage I noticed was that um, I kind of suddenly heard him say life was fantastic thank you And it feels as if he had been a wonderful guest and he had to leave. saying what am I my little thoughts my little problems compared to the dreadful things that are happening in prisons in Africa or, or, or people being 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 raped and being massacred in different countries of the world. People will be put into prison and tortured because of their thoughts. What are my little problems in life compared to that? And that was something which, which I think he was possessed by, this discrepancy. I think that's the word, discrepancy. That's something I think we all go through. I can remember a similar condition of mind when I was that age. The, the Churchill's famous, famous um, sentence... Uh, he must be a very stupid person who is not a communist by 20 and still is with 30. I mean, it's a different age, but that's put it in a nutshell. What's the world cost? I can do everything now when I'm 20. And then gradually calming down and knowing you can't change the world, but you can change maybe little, little things. And Ken was just starting off. But yeah, somehow he, he got stuck there. can't say um, you have to be sad and you can't say you should go on you know there are people who say that, yeah, well life goes on and after a year you should uh, you know take your life into your hand And but it's no it's every day is, is, is different and sometimes I, I think I should be sad but I, I'm not and I can look at Kevin's photograph and, and kind of talk to him and uh, another day I can't and I don't know why, why I'm sad one day and when, why I'm not sad and the other day, because, uh, I mean, the facts are the facts. 
don't uh, we don't share consciously our grieving, shall we say. We both know we've become different people, but at the same time, everything remains the same. That it sounds very contradictory, but that's my experience. Life is just the same as it was before, and life is completely different. <laughs> 